there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career double shot K-Cup with my guest, Ian Bremer. I listened to a wonderful talk that you gave recently in the fall of 2019 at Columbia University's Graduate School of International and Political Affairs. And in that talk, you shared with those in the audience how when you finished your PhD in the late 80s, there were no jobs in the private sector for political scientists who wanted to do what you just laid out there. Why was that? And how have things changed in the ensuing 20 years or so? Yeah. So 1994, I finished my PhD at Stanford. I I had not intended to do a PhD, by the way, but I was very young when I went to college. I was 15 when I started college. I was pushed ahead. And by the time I finished, I wasn't ready to work. I mean, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I figured, well, I like political science. I like learning about the world. So if I get a PhD, by the time I finish it, I'll be normal age to go get a job. So it wasn't like I started my PhD with the idea of I want to be a professor. I started my PhD with the idea of I like poli sci. I'll be 23, 24. I'll finish my PhD and then I'll get a job as a political scientist. What I hadn't appreciated is that there were no private sector jobs as political scientists. You could go and be an academic or you could go and be a researcher, but you couldn't get a job. And that, that seemed kind of crazy to me because it was pretty obvious that the field was relevant and part of it was you didn't learn much about the markets and economy to show, to make it relevant, to, to make those connections. And part of it was the businesses didn't have the background and the experience hiring people with this expertise. And so I remember moving to New York and meeting a bunch of people that were really nice to me in high level positions in big companies. Bob Hormatz, who was the vice chairman of Goldman Sachs, before that had been assistant secretary of the State Department. And Frank Wisner, who was vice chairman of AIG, but before that had been ambassador to countries like India and Colombia, all over the world. And they were really nice to me and they clearly thought what I did was relevant to them, but they didn't have jobs as political scientists. So after meeting all these people and spending, you know, lunches over a year with them, I'm getting frustrated that no one was hiring me to to do what I did. I finally said to one of them, I don't remember which one it was even, well, you know, would you become a client if I just started a firm, if I just put a shingle outside my door. And, and he said, of course I would. And then I thought to myself, well, why didn't I just start with that idea? And within a couple of weeks, I had commitments from 10, 12 different people and companies that they'd become clients. And so that was kind of the, the, the ass backwards way that Eurasia Group and the political risk industry was started. So you've said a number of things that are really interesting there. I think the first question that popped into my head was, how did you as a young guy in your early 20s meet 
Ambassador Wisner and was it Frank Hormack? Was that the other name that you said? Uh, Bob Hormack. Bob Hormack. I give you, there yeah. are probably 15 of them. Yeah, Bill yeah. Lorders, lots of plots. So of how that. did you meet them? Well, you know, first of all, I did my PhD at Stanford and I taught there for a couple of years when I finished and I was working on the former Soviet Union. And so there are a couple of really fortunate things there. One is that Stanford is one of a very small handful of schools in the world where the people that you're working with are world-class and very networked. So if they think you're bright and they like you, their ability to get you in front of decision makers and stakeholders is very high. So number one is just by virtue of being there, you have such a step up over any other platform to get to know the people that actually matter. Second point is I had done a lot of field work in the former Soviet Union at a time that that was the most interesting place geopolitically in the world. Remember, 1991, three years before I finished my PhD, is when the Soviet Union collapsed and I was doing work on the former nationalities, those republics of the former Soviet Union, Ukraine and Armenia and Azerbaijan and the Kyrgyz Republic. And, and I got to know a bunch of the people who were dissidents in those movements and suddenly when the Soviet Union collapsed, some of them became ministers and even presidents. I mean, the president of the, the Kyrgyz Republic was a good friend of mine. And so I, I, this young guy suddenly had access to a bunch of people that really mattered. And I knew a few things from my Russian language and my, my research on the ground in those countries that were of real interest. So that when I met some of those decision makers at the big companies, and I wasn't asking them for anything. I was just trying to display my expertise and content and provide value to them because they were already giving me something that was much more valuable than anything I had. They, they had time and their willingness to give me an hour or two hours. I mean, I had plenty of time. They had very little of it. So in return, it was very important for me that I was going to offer them something of value. So at the end of that meeting, they'd say, oh, that guy was worth my time because that was really interesting. I did have something that they found was useful, which was my expertise and access and my analysis on a part of the world that was suddenly very interesting to them. So I think it was those two things that really helped to allow me to make some of the connections that even though I couldn't get a job because that job didn't exist, that allowed me to create something from thin air that was very likely to be successful on at least a small scale. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.